Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. How did Nate leave Laurie Markinen off his all-star team? How did I leave off DeMontis Sabonis? How did Danny leave off both? How did none of us pick Anthony Edwards? You've come to the right place to hear Nate and Danny discuss their all-star picks and their reasoning behind it. No, these guys aren't just clueless about basketball. They know quite a bit. And if you listen to this podcast, maybe you'll come away thinking the same. If you're interested in subscribing to Dunked On Prime, you can do so at dunkedon.com. Dot supportingcast.fm. That's dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. We've got our mock trade deadline sale going, so it's a great time to subscribe before the mock trade deadline to get full access to that ad-free. Uh, this episode is a good taste of, of what there is to offer at Dunkdon. In addition to going over their all-star picks afterward, Nate and Danny continue on with their trade deadline preview series. It's a very informative look at team-by-team team, uh, where everybody stands going into the trade deadline. If you subscribe, you'll get all those podcasts, plus more. We have Daily Dunks. We have Seth Partnow writing for us, uh, covering the league from a statistical bent. A lot of great content. That's once again, dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. Dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. Time to finish out the week. Usually that means some news that we have to get to first, and then we'll talk more about the Southeast Division at the trade deadline. Where I want to start, Danny, on the news is with something that we've hit on at least a little bit already on this show, and the Andrew Marshand and John Urand sports media podcast has been all over this, but it has now come out, it's confirmed, it sounds like, that the Bally Sports RSNs are reportedly preparing for bankruptcy, and that means essentially that they just don't have enough money to pay their rights fees. They're not making enough money selling those. They're not making enough money on subscription fees and they're just they're in bankruptcy and so part of the reason they're filing bankruptcy is they want to keep these games on the air so what is the list of teams that have a contract with bally sports it used to be fox sports it is 16 of the nba's 30 franchises in no particular order the clippers suns timberwolves thunder mavericks grizzlies pelicans spurs hawks hornets heat magic Cavs, pistons pacers bucks so probably worth noting that none of those teams are probably in the top five for rights fees at the moment adam silver has acknowledged he said there's going to be some pain for our teams i think this is a big opportunity for the league to just take back these rights and sell them themselves to not have to do blackouts uh, to potentially just have these rights be part of a the national tv package in similar fashion to the nfl however that's 16 of the league's teams you've still got comcast sports that has i'm sorry nbc sports i'm so old on that nbc sports bay area and all of these other ones that have a lot more of the rights and then you've got even some of the teams like the nuggets with altitude the knicks with msg the lakers with spectrum so amalgamating all these rights could be difficult particularly when there are teams that are probably extremely happy with their tv deals that aren't going to want to put them into a potential national pie because they're getting paid you know 200 million dollars or whatever per season like i think the lakers are so this is really interesting it's going to mean potentially that teams are just going to not get paid but it also this isn't like a massive amount of bri because it's mostly the smaller teams that are going to be affected here the grizz you know what are they getting 10 million dollars a year or something i mean again this is off the top of my head so note that we're these numbers are not exact i'm just going from memory but you know clippers Suns, maybe you're getting up there then some of these contracts also might frankly be a little outdated in terms of how much is being paid so yeah what happens with all this is going to be fascinating and there's talk maybe that the leagues may just attempt to bail out these channels and then that they'll just 
continue on getting the revenue in terms of advertising or subscription fees that these channels were getting. So this is going to be fascinating to see what happens with more than half of the league's TV rights. Same thing with, of course, MLB and probably some NHL teams as well. Right. And I, like you, I see this as an opportunity for the NBA to to rest some control and get, produce something I think could be a better eventual product. I, I think kind of moving away, not that the NFL and the NBA are fully comparable in this respect, but moving away from something that they've done so successfully, I think is a mistake. And it, I know some people really like the regionalization of broadcasts. I personally, you know, like may, I'm not a representative sample here. I think that it not only can lead to some economies of scale, but it can also lead to some changes in terms of best practices and broadcast quality and all that type of stuff. Like you could go in that direction, incidentally, something that the NFL has done. So we'll have to see moving forward. Um, but it is it is an opportunity, whether that opportunity becomes something fundamentally different or not. Yeah, but we could also see possibly if if they can't recoup this revenue, maybe we will see a, a decline in BRA, an unexpected decline or at least a failure to rise in the cap. And certainly, as you mentioned, the opportunity, I think another thing that would be an opportunity if you could fold these into a national plan would be flex scheduling, right? Where you can just switch around the ESPN game. TNT is a little bit harder because there aren't as many games usually on their nights, but you could even make it easier to go to doing a first and second half of the season, although that would run into issues with the arena availability as well. And finally, this also might lead to, oh, I don't know if it'll lead to, but it would make it easier to reduce the number of games. Right. And yeah. Yeah, because you wouldn't have so, so many of those obligations or slash the obligation is to yourself and thus you can shift that obligation. And that is something I deeply, deeply want for the league. And the um, Dan Feldman had this in the Daily Dunks, the like speculation slash reporting from Windhorse that the in-season tournament will not actually reduce the number of games in the season was frustrating to me because that seemed like an opportunity to kind of set that table. And it doesn't seem like they want to. So this is still everyone fighting back against it. We'll save that for another day once we know more about that. Instead, well, well, one more thing on this to just recall sure. that part of the reason that you had to play these regular season games in the bubble is because these RSN contracts mandated at least 70, 72 games per season. And so, again, just not being locked into that, not being in a situation where it's like, OK, if we want to have more games on national TV and we have fewer games, right, because that's one of the, my big theories. If you reduce the number of games that you wouldn't take that big of a hit to the BRI because you still show the exact same number of national games. But then it's the RSNs who are taking the hit and the local TV money that's taking the hit a little bit because let's say the Warriors are on national TV 25 times, but they only play 58 games instead of 82. Now the local TV has reduced their inventory like by half. So while maybe the overall pie would grow by more, the specific local TV pie wouldn't and you have to appease the, those entities. Where do you want to go next here? I want to go to Sacramento, where Woj had previously reported that the Kings were considering negotiating an extension with general manager Monty McNair. That extension has happened. And per Sam Amick of The Athletic, it is three years with no options. And Woj additionally reporting that the Kings are working to finalize a new deal with assistant GM Wes Wilcox. That has not yet come to fruition, but it is being negotiated. And for McNair... The Kings have been immensely successful this season. He has one of the important parts of being a general manager is hiring the right coach. And I've been very impressed with what Mike Brown has done. So those elements are are really positive for him. In terms of giving an extension, a big complication here, and it's, you know, like I like to think of this as the sugar rush, is Sabonis is helping them a lot. Sabonis is not, I don't think he's having as good a year as Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Halliburton is younger and under team control. They made a series of things, including giving up a first round pick for Kevin Herter and everything else, that we're win now moves. They're winning more now than they have before. And that is great. And it might just be that he's made the right analysis and can do it. But it creates this it creates this challenge in terms of valuation when you sacrifice future things for present and then your present is more successful and you're happy about that. No, I think that's uh, correct. Anytime teams do one of these future focus moves, then in the first year, someone declares it a success. Okay, if you wanted to say the Lakers' move for Anthony Davis was a success because they won a championship, I probably wouldn't argue with you there, although they still should have not had to pay as high of a price as they did in the end, and they would be much better off now had that not been the case. So uh, now, as far as the extension, you know, the idea of, all right, has he 
has he earned an extension i think that so and we talk about this with coaches too that whether someone has earned an extension or not as an executive is maybe not the right analysis to me sometimes and i think maybe you would say mcdare has because he has executed the vision that his owner had his owner wanted them to get better and be in playoff contention now hold on a second let's not take the victory lap yet i know they're playing well i know they're the three seed or whatever they are but they're three games ahead of all oh trust me my mentions make it very clear that the kings are currently the three seed So, you know, we got a lot of basketball still to be played. The Kings have had impeccable health so far this season. A lot of the teams below them haven't. So let's just let's just calm down about like taking a victory lap. They could very easily still be in the play in this season. They could very easily still lose in the play in and not even make the playoffs. Like that's, I mean, I would bet that they probably will make it, but I'm still like, there's a substantial chance, I think, of them not being in the playoffs this year. So all that, but assuming that it, this all comes to fruition, they're on pace. Like he's executed Vivek's vision. I see that on the other hand you think if monty mcnair made it to free agency this offseason as an executive would he instantly get another job as the lead executive i don't think that's necessarily the case uh, based on, on his record so far i don't think that he seems like the type of guy who would be considered in the top half of the league's gms who's gonna instantly be hired as a lead decision maker elsewhere i also think actually that this is an interesting data point in terms of i mean the good news for mcnair is that the moral hazard of potentially losing your job lined up with exactly what Vivek and the Kings organization wanted. Team moral so, hazard. Yeah. So so letting him go into the last year of his contract like this wasn't the end of the world. Also, a three-year contract for GM, that's pretty short. I mean, that's like, again, if you're going to try to avoid that moral hazard. But hey, if you if you need that sugar rush. By the way, Dad, did you know that the sugar rush is actually a myth? Doesn't actually exist? Like for kids, that they're not actually more wild as the result of having sugar? Are you looking it up now? <laughs> No, I'm not. I probably should have been, though. Uh, yeah, no, because I, appar- apparently, I mean, according, you, you guys can look this up, but apparently parents just notice when their kids are wild after giving them sugar, but by any objective standard, it's not actually true. So, hmm. so yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that like Monty McNair shouldn't have been extended or something like that, but it's just, it's a, as you noted, it's, it's all easy to take the victory lap now. Sometimes we've been right on some of these teams being too early taking a victory lap. Other times it's actually looked pretty good, but particularly when it's a team that just has been fiending for any type of success for so long it's i mean it's part of feel good story it's not good to let the guy who built this team go i i get i'm not like i don't think he's done a bad job either it is interesting that you know he and wes like weren't as far as i know were just like they were the two finalists for the job so i don't think they were like really fired up to work with each other or had a pre-existing relationship but it seems like that's worked out reasonably well so far what's next here Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. 
And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us thankfully i don't think anything else is a huge huge thing on the docket uh, we got the reporting from Chris Haynes that Kyrie Irving is seeking a contract extension with the Brooklyn Nets, which might break the modern land speed record for do we think this player is ever going to play for this franchise again to wants an extension. But that's also a part of the Kyrie Irving experience. Yeah, it is. And I think he wanted an extension last year and they didn't give it to him. I mean, there was reporting early on that he was going to just come back and then it became clear that no, they actually weren't going to offer him what he wanted, though they apparently at least offered him something so i wouldn't be too fired up i guess to give irving an extension now but i might also just like for it i mean it depends right if he wants four years no if you want to do two years with some non-guarantees on the end or games played triggers or you know something where a suspension voids it or some kind of team protection if you could come to that sort of an agreement yeah i think i'd be interested in that as the nets i don't know if irving is interested in that particularly because you would have to think irving at a minimum is going to look at 31 million dollars in lakers cap space this offseason and think that he's got at least a, a four-year 150 million dollar contract out there right and i i don't want to be the person who long-term hitches their wagons to the Kyrie Irving trade now he could he is a, obviously a phenomenal player when available but there are i i mean not that they are comparable necessarily as things but like the two the two things that led to extended absences from Kyrie Irving the last two years were both personal choices. And so how do you protect yourselves as an organization or just as you know just dealing with that sort of that sort of an individual like that's it's a challenging circumstance to be in and then brooklyn has has put themselves in the Kyrie irving business it's going to be hard to get out of it should they should that be what they want and i don't know that it's what they want so it's a thorny situation also on the brooklyn front uh darren sharp has now missed two straight due to lower back soreness we'll stay in the atlantic with the celtics marcus smart has a, a right ankle sprain doesn't seem great um there isn't a specific timeline but smart and it's important to note that this is coming from Marcus Smart hopes that he'll be back in a week or two Boston is still still doing well enough that I don't think they should or will rush Smart back but yeah. you know they, they yeah, do. after the all-star break right I think that could be a distinct possibility for the Hornets um a couple of returns which is good um Lamella Ball has missed three straight due to a sprained left ankle sore right wrist he is available on Thursday Gordon Hayward is also available on Thursday and Gordon Hayward. Obviously, Hornets injury designations have been a story in the very recent past, including with Gordon Hayward specifically. 
But I was going back through it, and I'm like, wait, didn't he just have a hamstring thing? And so this is the way it happened, as far as I can tell. Gordon Hayward is out for eight games with what was classified then as left hamstring soreness. Comes back, plays in two games over the weekend, and is now, and then was out for two games. So played in two, missed two, with a strained left hamstring. So he was out less time with what is generally considered the more severe diagnosis. I have no idea what the hell is going on. I can't even begin to process Hayward's injury absences anymore, but it's... Maybe this is relevant if they're trying to trade him and a team might actually be interested in. I just don't imagine how a team could be interested in him at at this point. And then this Cody Martin issue, sore left knee, same one he had surgically repaired. He came back. Now he's missed six consecutive games, getting ruled out a day early. Did he re-injure it? Is there just soreness? Do they just not care because this is a lost season? And he's, he's actually... A valuable player for a team that has had no heartbeat at all this season but i you know are we headed toward just a totally lost season for him it feels like maybe it is it's definitely a concern for the hawks deandre hunter has will now miss a or he already has missed a second consecutive game due to the injury classification that i saw was acute asthma symptoms so i guess we'll just have to to find out more about that uh, hope that everything's ever okay relatively soon goran dragic uh, isn't going to play tonight against the hornets uh, but he's now trying to get his conditioning back up to par after missing a couple of games due to illness and they've missed him on that backup guard line donovan mitchell injured his groin at the very end of that knicks game where we talked about that on tuesday he apparently two of those four plays where he got blocked or sorry three plays where he got blocked at the room in the last two minutes were fouls including actually what i thought was a great verticality play by hartenstein maybe hartenstein's arms came down and got him on the arm that's what they said it was a foul but mitchell doesn't look like he's gonna play for at least a little bit of time here was he questionable for today I believe that's the last designation I saw. Um, I think they've they've not even really like formally done it, but I think questionable is what I saw. And then Kevin Love, who's really been struggling lately, only played 12 minutes against the Knicks, a, a team that he's a pretty good matchup against. He is questionable for tonight. He's not going to play now. Sorry, he was questionable for tonight against the Rockets. He's not going to play now due to lower back spasms. Nikola Jokic, we missed the chance to see the last four MVP winners square off against one another last night because this left hamstring tightness. Jokic did return against the Pelicans in New Orleans on Tuesday, and this was the second night of a back-to-back. KCP didn't play due to a sprained right wrist, and then we've got Michael Porter Jr. with this continued personal absence because uh, one of his many brothers allegedly drove drunk and killed someone in the Denver. He's now missed three straight games as well. For Golden State, Andrew Wiggins missed another game due to illness yesterday as they won in a a classic against the Grizz, a very weird game. Uh, He's questionable now against uh, the Raptors, who he always likes to play against uh, on Friday with this non-COVID illness. And James Wiseman was available to play against the Grizz on Wednesday, just wasn't in the rotation. It was a smaller game without Steven Adams. And also, I think they just, Jermichael Green was back. They wanted to play him, although I'm he Green had played well against the Cavaliers, but was not good uh, last night. I kind of wasn't really getting why he was out there. What else is there? The Rockets are sitting Eric Gordon due to a sore right knee, second half back-to-back, not a huge surprise. Andrew Nembhard, um, one of the elements we missed when we talked about Pacers-Bulls, part of the reason TJ McConnell was such a large part of that game is that Nembhard is dealing with his own non-COVID illness. He mi- has missed the last two games. He's questionable for Friday against the Bucks. And then Luke Kennard is missing time again due to right calf soreness. We don't, I don't have, haven't seen the timeline yet on him. And then for the Lakers, Anthony Davis returned and Rui Hashimura debuted against the Spurs. Both of those guys came off the bench. The Lakers ended up winning the game 113-104. And you and I were, were watching bits and pieces of this game from this from the stands at Chase. And there was this bizarre play. It sounds like, thankfully, Davis is okay, where he got patchouliated on a on like beyond half court heave but it looks like his ankle's okay from i mean at least nobody's talking about it yet so that's that's good so uh i think zach collins is is one of these players who out there who's like a danger to himself and others like the the, the flagrant fouled someone shooting a half court shot it's 
unbelievable. Yeah, but hopefully and thankfully Davis Davis is okay. You brought up that wild Grizzlies Warriors game. John Conchar missed it due to being in the concussion protocols. Desmond Bain is now questionable for the game on Friday. He played against the Warriors, but he's questionable on Friday due to right knee soreness. And then I can't remember if we gave the timeline. We talked about Stephen Adams, but in case we didn't, um, the estimate the the formal estimate now is that Adams with this uh, PCL sprain is going to miss three to five weeks. Yeah, and that game yesterday, we don't need to talk about it in the greatest detail, but Steph Curry gets thrown out for throwing his mouthpiece in the crowd. Clay Thompson hits a huge three. Memphis, their late game offense was bad, despite the Warriors having going super small with DiVincenzo at the three and Clay at the four. They finally start going after Jordan Poole in the last minute of the game and get two easy buckets before Kerr took him out for their last two possessions and Joss still got him great shots on those possessions. But uh, they tie the game. Warriors get stopped. It's a baseline out of bounds. After Memphis couldn't get the rebound, Taylor Jenkins was not happy with their rebounding. They always seem to rebound terribly against Golden State, particularly when Adams is out. And I asked Taylor Jenkins what happened on the final play where Jordan Poole made a great cut to beat Zaire Williams for a layup. And here's what he had to say about that. Coach, can you take us through uh, what happened on the final play with Poole uh, getting the, the layup on the baseline out of bounds? Yeah, our help defense shifted at the last second away from the basket, and he snuck in for a, a really nice layup. So Jenkins, not exactly the most verbose of coaches, shall we say, that he's actually improved his interview style over the last few years. He was incredibly robotic even before that. I thought his comments were somewhat revealing. I thought at the time it was Zaire Williams' fault. He was shaded to prevent Poole from coming off of a screen and just got beaten backdoor with no screen. I mean, that's, you don't want to get beaten backdoor on a baseline out of pounds when there's no screen, but I, it looked like he was expecting maybe that there would be help there at the rim. And John Morant, Jenkins, of course, didn't mention who it was by name, but I'm guessing John Morant, he, Clay Thompson had just hit a, a huge three. So Josh shades towards Clay coming out for the three in the corner, which would have been difficult. And Jordan Poole was able to cut backdoor to the rim and get a tough layup uh, on Zaire Williams to win the game after his shot that he, he took such a terrible shot earlier this is amazing we're trying to figure out what had happened in the arena this is one of the where like Steph got thrown out then it became clear that Steph had thrown his mouthpiece because he was so pissed off that Jordan Poole had taken this terrible shot with 12 on the shot clock after an offensive rebound when they were up uh, I didn't think it was like that bad of a shot because it wasn't like a full 24 on the clock but still you know pool uh it wasn't the greatest shot in the world and Steph was like you know I, I could see him wanting the ball there so anyway I, I thought that that whole thing was interesting what else we need to talk about here Rudy Gobert is back on the injury report listed as questionable for the Wolves game on Friday against the Grizzlies due to right groin soreness and not only is that an issue like I mean to be an issue when you come back from the same thing and then you're you're listed that way again but especially especially when it's a muscle injury yeah that you make a great point there because muscle injuries are kind of the thing where you just you keep making it worse it's not really and there's always this risk that you're gonna pull it worse you're not really able to kind of manage it the way you could a sore knee or something like that like muscle injuries don't really work that way so it is concerning if he's going to be off the injury report and he's back and then he's on the injury report again they had a nice win in new orleans yesterday though where brandon ingram did return but he really struggled he was the only pal who was well into the negative in the first half when he was two for 11 and then the wolves turned it on in the second half i i didn't watch too much of this game but people were, were there john was there he's like yeah ingram doesn't look like he's moving great hopefully uh, uh, he missed two months so it's going to take some time there you would think even if he is feeling okay the knicks james dolan ethan strauss has reported on this the new york times reported on this new york post has reported on this that the knicks use facial recognition to basically harass people that they don't like we don't need to get into the entire thing here but he went on tv today and had a combative performance that inspired some more statements from officials in new york state and new york city and so this is and ethan noted i think interestingly that we have not seen a single article on this on espn that dolan has kind of been getting much more of a pass from espn 
ESPN compared to other outlets over the last few years. And there are some CAA connections there. That's all circumstantial, but perhaps persuasive evidence that uh, ESPN is going to basically embed Baxter Holmes on Robert Sarver for a year and a half until he's forced to sell the team, but has never really tried to do any kind of investigative work uh, on James Dolan. I think that's that's notable. Not that Sarver didn't deserve it, obviously, but I think Dolan uh, does. He's got his. Uh, I, I mean, Dolan is almost more of a negative externality than Sarver is. Sarver probably runs a worse organization inside the building. So, which of those is worse? You tell me. But uh, Dolan's uh, he's not a good owner. No, he's not. And thankfully for the Oklahoma City Thunder, they've got Usman Jang back. He hadn't played since December 5th with a wrist injury. Um, so it's good to see him back out on the floor. It was a wild Thunder Hawks game on Wednesday night, which eventually the Hawks won 137-132. And so I, I'm, I'm really happy that, that Jang is back out there and they'll have plenty of time to evaluate him during the remainder of his rookie season. Lou Dort is going to miss Friday's game against Cleveland due to a right hamstring strain. He's been ruled out already and again you when you miss a game due to a hamstring or a calf or whatever you brace for at least a two-week absence and Dort is a very very important component as really their I would say their only elite wing defender so we'll see like it always seems like kind of a house of cards for them defensively although I did note in that game that we did for them over the weekend that they at least in most cases although certainly not in last night's game make the other team earn it even if they don't have like the greatest overall talent level and we skipped over this was New York. Ian Begley reported that the Knicks have several standing offers for Cam Reddish that include second round picks, plural, coming back to New York. But again, there are many a worthless second round pick out there. So some of that could be semantics. Then to finish up the news, um, Yusuf Nurkic left that game uh, on Wednesday against the Jazz where Damian Lillard dropped 60 in the most efficient 60 plus point scoring performance I believe in league history, um, he left 21 of 29 from the field. He only had nine free throws too to get to 60 points. That was pretty incredible. And so Nurkic uh, left the game due to that left calf tightness. We don't have severity or timeline yet on him. And then Josh Hart also left that game nine minutes in due to right hamstring tightness. And again, no severity or timeline yet on Mr. Hart. Yeah, again, leave the game due to a muscle injury. You know what the rule is or the likely rule is. That, and Dame, I mean, it was, it was an incredible performance. I was actually at a game against the Jazz when he put up 59 in 2017. I think I was up there due to the hoop summit then. And he had three free throws after getting 58 points. He was on 58 points, got three free throws. He missed two of them. So he missed out on his 60-point game. But Lord, if you just look at the pure explosiveness in terms of number of 50-point games, number of 60-point games, like he is way up there now in NBA history above a lot of guys who you would think of as better players than him and superior scorers. But just in terms of his ability to go absolutely crazy and due to his role in that Portland offense, like he has some of the most explosive games and stretches that of anyone in NBA history. And the All-Star starters are out, Danny. Uh-huh. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 
so you actually submitted your all-star picks today and just for shits and giggles we posted our picks with our you me and dan on twitter just to see what would happen and uh as an anonymous person associated with this podcast said the most interesting part of this is just to see who is the worst player that people complain missed out but uh, you did have uh, let's go through the starters first and who we actually had and what what our disagreements were so who are the all-star starters this season let's start the east in the Eastern Conference, Giannis was chosen as the captain and then playing alongside or not playing alongside him, but but on the team, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell. So that means Joel Embiid is the most notable omission from the East starting five. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, uh, the starters are chosen by a combination of the fan vote, the media and the players. The reserves are chosen by the coaches. And they had three of the five starters that I would have had. Um, I would have had Embiid over Giannis. Although it's very close. I, I, if you want to hear more of my thought process, John and I did a whole pot on this, obviously, but I just thought that Giannis just hasn't been quite at his usual level this season. In some ways, it's not even about the games missed. You know, that's, that was the other thing. You know, we're getting a lot of crap on Twitter and I, I understand that. Like people just have different philosophies as long as you're, uh, respectful about it because it is a hard job to try to pick the all stars. You and I, you even more than me, it seems like, as we'll get to have the philosophy of if it's, Worst player who's played more games versus better player who hasn't played as much. We default towards the better player, particularly when we're only dealing with the half season. Uh, so, it, and that particularly in the West, I thought made it difficult. So, I think our biggest difference between you, me, and Dan is we all had Tyrese Halliburton starting, whereas the in part due to the fan vote, it, it's Kyrie Irving, and I. I will pat myself on the back for correctly predicting that Kyrie would start the all-star game. Uh, John was saying, well, if he doesn't start, maybe he won't make it because the coaches are going to just w- wouldn't vote for him. But uh, Kyrie doesn't actually have to worry about that. He does not. A- and maybe if Halliburton hadn't gotten injured recently, it- he might have been able to. Well, no, I, I don't think there's anything he could have done to get high enough in the in the voting uh, to make it happen. But I, I think Halliburton has been uh, better than Kyrie, and Kyrie has obviously had, had an absence as well. But Ky- I, you and I, it seems like you and Dan had Kyrie like way down at the bottom. Kyrie was like an obvious pick for me in terms of a guy who, who should have made it at the guard position. You had Embiid over actually Jason Tatum. Is that kind of just based on your belief that you think KD, Giannis, and Embiid are just better players than Tatum? Yeah, I also think that like I, I think Embiid's had a had a nice year. I mean, n- nothing nothing really against Tatum, but like I, I can this is a good avenue to talk about my general philosophy on All Star, which is different than other people. And part of the reason I think All Star like arguments about All Star rostering is kind of silly is because there are different approaches which are conflicting with each other and no no one of them is correct or incorrect like that's it's i have the similar issue with hall of fame voting in basketball rather than like an nba hall of fame um so i generally to me i think of the all-star game as a celebration of the sport and if you want to say the nba more specifically and so thus I tilt more heavily towards the best players and kind of ha- one of the way and with Embiid and Embiid and Tatum. I mean, I'm fine either way. And they've both been wonderful. You could, nothing wrong there. And and Giannis, like two time recent MVP, also finals MVP, all that kind of stuff. And so for me, it's generally speaking, I, I the way I actually do all star balloting is I have the I start out with it wouldn't be an all star game if this guy weren't involved. And so yeah. those are are often the the best players. Like if you are somebody that I feel is one of the 10 best players in the league, generally there's a little bit of fudging on that. It's not necessarily what I said the last time we did the pod. It's, you know, a rough estimate of what I feel right now. Those people have to be in. And then there's kind of another group where it's like they're not in that. But it's just like I don't know if I'll have John Morant in the top 10. We'll have to see. But doing an all-star game without John Morant seems silly. And so you have that group that usually takes up about half of the roster spots. And then for me, generally, I'm going to go who I think is the better player, even if all-star doesn't count for uh, contract stuff as much now as it used to, because it's not a qualification for designated player, designated veteran. Thank goodness that's the case. But because we have other things to do, who's having the best part of the year, like you and I are going to do an awards pot at some point in the next little while. That will be our evaluation of how these guys are. And so for me, if a player like Anthony Davis or Kawhi, who has an established level of play, 
that is significantly higher. I also think some people were really denigrating like the level of play that players like that have had. And it's like that you, a you're wrong and B like, I don't, I don't think that's as material as you think it is. So I'm not as susceptible to the like good story playing over their head playing or team success. Because, like, I mean, going back to the last time we got into an argument uh, with other people about DeMontis Simonis being the All-Star team, especially when margins are really tight in terms of the standings, picking it at a specific moment in time, that's not necessarily predictive of where things are going. And then, but they get to be that All-Star forever. Yeah, I think that's fair. And particularly when it's just like, oh, they're the X seed right now. And they, this guy is on that team. It's like, oh, no, you got to do better than that. And Sabonis, to me, he made my West team. I assume that he will make uh, the coaches vote but he made my west team and and when he wasn't really even close to consideration for me in the east because he's just having a much better year like he is really i think the biggest driver of uh, this team's offense although again i between fox and the shooters like those guys deserve a lot of credit too fox was like just out for me and so i think the biggest Let's go through who the starters are in the West first, and then we can kind of talk about this a little bit. Sure. So the West starters, LeBron is the captain, guards Luka Doncic and Stephen Curry, other frontcourt players, Nikola Jokic and Zion Williamson. Yeah, so I think some people are up in arms about Zion being ahead of Anthony Davis. I wouldn't be, actually, I, I think. And maybe some people are up in arms about it being him being ahead of Sabonis or Markinen as well. I would say that Zion Williamson has played the best of any West front court player to me, maybe Davis is close there. Uh, and he's just, again, a qualitatively different level of player than Sabonis or Markkanen at this point in time. But I, I understand maybe people have a different philosophy. Like that's okay. You know, if you want to just say, Hey, I'm going to reward the players who are, who perform the best over this 45 game sample. That's what the all-star game is. All right. I, I understand that. That's just not what I think it should be. I think it's just like, especially in just like such a star driven leave when the absolute best, best players are the ones who really drive winning and we know who those players are to leave them out is a little bit of a concern however i still have at least a minimum games played threshold i didn't think that Kawhi leonard met that dan didn't either i think most people wouldn't but you uh put Kawhi on there now you did your picks i think a week after uh me and john did and Kawhi's looked good that this week and it seems like hopefully he'll play through the all-star break and the rest of the season at least you know not playing back-to-backs but not having more of an absence i hope that's true but uh, anything you wanted to say as far as why you would have Kawhi on there and then you basically had him over sabonis it seemed like yeah i mean Kawhi, Kawhi is still i think one of the league's best players when he's been on the when he's been on the floor the clippers have been very good and i'm going to default to that and it i mean i sabonis is i mean i seriously consider him like you could go in either direction there but i am going to default on established level of quality and if sabonis continues to play well he will he will definitely deserve it he deserves serious consideration as did Lowry Markinen, of course, that those guys are playing excellently this year. But I'm going to default to who I think the best players in the league have been, who the best players are. And like, there's this weird thing with like, oh, Kawhi, Kawhi hasn't played that much. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But he has been, to me, especially recently, but he's been very good when he's been on the floor. The Clippers have been very, very good when he's been on the floor. I think the last, the last time I saw it, they're outscoring teams by like seven or eight points per hundred possessions when he's out there. That's pretty seven is is the exact number seven is the exact number and so yeah and he's been an important part of that success overall and yeah so that i i, I again i'm fine with people having disagreements and that's also the whole point of like people getting up in arms about it and one other thing i'll note for people a don't be a jerk like to whoever whether it's the people like whoever whether you disagree with me or somebody else that's fine just don't do it i i mean i've had my times when i was angry online but the other one is make sure that you're a, like if you want to be a, be like a, let's say an effective advocate make sure that it's not blatantly obvious that you're applying the criteria for the person that you're partisan towards where it's like oh well so now at th- at this point the kings are the 3 seed i like the kings i like demontis bonus obviously they have to have somebody because when the kings were the 12 seed i'm not sure that you were making the same argument for whoever your favorite player was and it's like i'm not fan, fan, there there is a reason the word fan comes from fanatic but it's frustrating well fortunately i don't think that many people of that ilk uh, really are subscribers to this podcast well, this is a public pod so maybe we, we will be inviting a little more smoke hilariously danny demonis sabonis and Kawhi Leonard 
Leonard both have identical 7.0 net ratings. Oh, that's amazing. This season. But yeah, I mean, but Sabonis, I mean, King's 13 points per 100 better on offense when he's on the floor. Like that's, yeah. and that's a, and, and the you know, defense Her- has Herter been, is up there too. Yeah. And the defense has been worse when he's been off and it hasn't been good either way, but it's been worse when he's been off. Uh, no, no, they're actually, they're worse when he's on than when he's Oh, on. really? Okay. Last time I checked it, that was different. Or maybe so, it's but, a, but anyway, it actually yeah. might be a cleaning the glass. That might be a cleaning the glass. Um, cause I looked at it like two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is. I'm, I'm looking at NBA.com right now, but yeah. So, and, and Anthony Edwards is one that got a lot of play as well. And I'm just like, no, I, I like, all right, you want to say Anthony Edwards has played more than Devin Booker. That's your philosophy. Fine. I'm going to roll with John Morant, Damian Lillard and Devin Booker as my guards over Anthony Edwards. And Chess. Like and Shea's Shea, been awesome. Yeah. And Shea, I had as a, I actually had Shea as a starter because I moved Luca to forward because he is a forward. Yeah, we'll have we'll have to have that discussion again um, in the um, when we do position rankings. Yeah, I mean he's been a small forward I think for us every year. Oh yeah, um, that, I think okay. that's right. Yeah, yeah, and you and Dan actually just had AD starting. I was like, hey, if I can get Luca on there, and you know, I would rather have Shea on there than AD this year. So I was like, if I can move Luca to forward, I'll do that. I want to. I want my stars to be the highest potential quality okay let's talk a little southeast division here who are we starting with oh let's start with let's start with the miami heat i i think the heat what what they what they end up doing might end up being more modest but they have some structural things i'm gonna bring up uh something that i ended ended up actually discussing with keith keith smith on real jam radio on thursday as well um and i'll get into that in a second so the the heat just kind of the, the basics here they're barely under the tax you know like hundreds of thousands of dollars below and they do have a small uh, $1.8 million trade exception from the Casey Apala deal that is available should they want to use that. And the, the Heat already have traded away their 2025 first, um, which is lotto protected for one year and then fully unprotected in 2026. Um, they don't have any extras from anybody else. They don't owe any other seconds or sorry, any other first. And they have they've traded away four seconds and only have one extra that isn't very good. And so that means the Heat aren't aren't particularly asset rich, and they've stabilized a little bit in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Whether they can make it to the top four will depend on health and player quality and all that. But the point that Keith and I ended up kind of stumbling onto, we were talking about what's going on this offseason with Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, and I hadn't fully processed this yet. But the Heat right now are, if you use fill in like kind of basic draft pick and roster holds, they're roughly like 15 million over the tax line for next season without anything for Struess and Vincent, both of whom are unrestricted free agents after this year. And so I'm just like, oh, their books are way more messed up. And I trust no front office more to clean up books, but they might want to do some of that business now. Yeah, and it's just... Kyle Lowry has been a real disappointment there and he didn't play in the fourth quarter against Boston. You, he wasn't other than with the throwback performance in that game six, he didn't really contribute a ton to what they did in the playoffs last year. Gabe Vincent, I think, you know, he's has his shooting struggles this year, but he defends pretty well. He can't switch as well as Lowry, but he can shoot it. I, I think he's an interesting point guard who fits with a lot of teams. Like he would be an underrated guy. I would be targeting. Of course they have bird rights on these guys. They could pay them. It's just a question of they, They've rarely had a huge appetite for going deep in the tax, but between Bam and Jimmy and Lowry, I mean, that's just like a massive amount of salary. So, you know, Lowry trade, we started hearing a few rumblings about that. Could a team like the Clippers be interested? Like that could be an interesting trade if the, the Clippers believe in him and the Clippers have at least, you know, some guys that could fill in at this Miami stretch four that's such a linchpin for their team. And then that could also, you could get off of those smaller contracts in the offseason clippers actually don't have that much in just pure expiring money but they have contracts that end after next year or might be movable again if they wanted to re-sign Struess and vincent Struess now hasn't been as prominent because hero is in the starting lineup again it hasn't had as good of a year as a shooter so i i do think just kind of holding on just i don't know that i want to move Struess and vincent is that what you're implying or are you implying what? that like some of these other bad contracts they need to just get off of now yeah some of the other ones they could get off of. now it is a lot easier to do that during the off season because more potential trade partners have cap space like that that is but it's it was more just the idea that i hadn't realized how deep a hole they were in at present and so if you could find somebody but the big problem is also duncan robinson has not had that kind of year and so maybe that was part of the idea for pat riley was hey we signed with this contract it looked very reasonable at the time we talked about it as like solid starter money and then duncan robinson has not been a solid starter so the core question that i would be asking is 
a kind of is it easier to move him now or later and the the more obvious answer is probably later because there are just more potential suitors the other one is because his value it's hard to imagine it being lower now there's no guarantee it'll be higher but might not be lower later on so you roll the dice you move a little further maybe as a good second half can be useful in the playoffs once he comes back from this injury yeah i still would be i mean do i want to give up a first round pick to largely move salary no i'm not willing to do that i'll just play it out their books are okay this season they can't they're still at 14 players they're right up against the tax line they're just like a couple hundred thousand below it basically or sorry are they over no they're they're just they're just under right so and i haven't looked deeply into like whether they have incentives that might pop that up i don't think they do actually Dwayne Dedman is another guy too making 4.7 after his incident throwing a Theragun I love Theragun how dare he do that to a Theragun onto the floor and getting ejected in a fit of peak it it seems like they're going another direction there so that's another way that they could get a little extra breathing space there so they could at least do enough to buy somebody out and have them on the roster and and get to a 15th guy as well so I, I would expect something like that to happen maybe if somebody's interested in Nikola Jovic who's out right now I can't remember what his injury is but it's a it's a long-term issue lower body lower extremity um in terms of what they can trade have we talked about that yet yeah I brought up the that they they owe that 25 first so that means they can trade their 2023 but you probably wouldn't do that I mean I guess you could do that now they, they expect to make the playoffs it's, and but you couldn't really protect it because it can't slide into 24 without creating some stepian problems true and enough that, yeah I mean maybe you could just you could have it slide into being the first available draft after that 25 to OKC but again I think I don't I'm not I don't want to give up one first round pick for some incremental upgrade I think they still are going to want to be in the mix for the next big player who becomes available they are able to trade three picks and three swaps in theory possibly it might end up possibly being two swaps depending on if that OKC pick does actually not go that first year so I don't know if I would want to reduce that down just for an incremental upgrade this year surely they can use something at the four with Caleb Martin and Haywood Highsmith or and it's just not an, an amazing group there or just going small with Jimmy at the four then the, their defense and their switchability starts to get hurt so it would certainly be nice to get another player like that Jay Crowder surely will be mentioned worth noting Victor Oladipo can block a trade because he has a player option for next year he would lose his bird rights he's actually been pretty good for them since coming back but that's potential matching salary Caleb Martin is potential matching salary as well making 6.5 Deadman with the 4.7 so uh, they can get to a Jay Crowder type of salary but then you'd be also giving up once you get up to you know about above about 15 million or so then you gotta move either Robinson or Lowry to get the matching salary and that's when a team might want some compensation I think yeah again if I could just if a team is willing to just take Lowry and give me expiring contracts of guys who can play a little bit like that Lowry to the Clippers for Covington maybe and and Marcus Morris or something like mm-hmm. that well like they, that, here's I would, the question I would be into that does D'Angelo Russell count as a player who can play not on this team I think not that's with fair. Tyler Hero because it seems like Minnesota is in the market for somebody who can help them beyond this year and like Conley has been the more frequent rumor but Lowry kind of he checks not the same boxes but similar boxes yeah it's just a question of Lowry he's just has not been a good player uh, largely for the you know, he had his moments last year but he, I think he kind of got worn out there's the personal absences as well it's just he it might be at that age but you never know he, he's a brand he's he obviously is one of the great fit guys around the nba he would be a wonderful fit his theoretical skill set in la it's just you know it's like hey if you if you were really that good the heat would be very happy to keep it sure most likely to be traded i'm gonna go deadman yeah deadman makes the most sense and it seems to me part of the reason it seems like they gave him that structure of contract with it not guaranteed until after the moratorium is that they can trade him Particularly when you consider 4.7 seems like more. That was, seems like that was almost a payment to get him to do the non-guaranteed second year. Who's next? Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. 
Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Charlotte Hornets are just over. Uh, I mean, you could either see it as like they're just under the cap, but like they're just kind of they're in that they're in that range. They don't have any available exceptions and they owe this protected pick that is not going to convey um, this year. And then it's basically lottery protected for a couple of years, then becomes two seconds. But they do have the Denver Nuggets 2023 and they have some bonus seconds, even though they've given up their own in 23 and 24, which is unfortunate because their 23 one would be wonderful to have. That said, what picks the Hornets have do and do not have is less relevant because they should be, if not exclusively a seller, pretty close to exclusively a seller. It seems that way. Now, they're bad enough that if they wanted to get a player who can be part of their group next year, he's, that player would not push them too much towards winning. I think it's useful to go through their cap situation here before we get too far. PJ Washington, restricted free agent, $17 million cap hold. If they don't bring him back, even with Gordon Hayward on the books, even with Terry Rozier on the books, then nobody else makes over $10 million other than LaMelo. They could have $34 million in space. And that's including potential draft picks as well, the two, the Denver pick and their own. I just had to update my sheet to note that their pick is technically owed to San Antonio now from the Kai Jones trade, but of course is top 16 protected. They will not be conveying that this season. So if you're Charlotte, I think I would be very interested in moving Terry Rozier. I think literally any of these players, any combination of these players. So who is that? That's uh, that we think of as kind of being tradable. I think basically anyone who's not on a rookie deal at this point on this team, right? That seems fair. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, well, and te- even PJ Washington, who's a, an expiring. Deal. Yeah. And I technically Jalen McDaniels isn't on a rookie scale contract. And, and that's also a thorny situation because he's a pending un- unrestricted free agent and so i, I think yeah. they'll probably super keep- low cap hold though so that's sure that might be a motivation to keep him if you're going to use cap space yeah could be motivation also a, a rare positional skill set even if the, the hornets randomly have a few more guys there than some teams do they actually have a, like a weird a weirdly large amount of forwards overall but yeah i mean hayward rosier Ubre, and plumley are on expiring contracts so they're in many ways the most obvious guys to consider moving and the general policy here is if you don't expect to, or especially if you don't want to retain somebody as a free agent, then you should try to move them if you can get something of value for those people. And yeah, I, I broadly agree with you that you put everybody on. Now, other than Ubre and Plumley, that doesn't mean you have to. It's not like, I mean, Terry Rozier, it's a, I think, 20, you know, 23, 24 million for him is a pretty reasonable contract, even if it has some downside risk. But if you could clean that up, probably better if somebody's interested. Now, there is actually one other component of next year that I probably should have talked about more. And I should probably put this guy's cap hold in my sheet because mm-hmm. Miles Bridges will be right back with the cap hold and potentially with a big salary next year. Uh, we'll see what happens, but that could eat into a fair amount of their cap space as well. Just worth noting that it, it could end up going in that direction. And of course, so much will be determined by where they are in the draft, who they draft going forward but i just i'm gonna take as much as i can for any of these guys now they're pretty flush on second round picks right because they got a bunch of them for trading the Duran pick for that denver 23 they're pretty flush but they don't really have a lot of blue chip ones so they have the jazz in 23 the mavs in 23 the knicks in 24 and the celtics in 24 none of those are i mean we'll see what utah does at the deadline but i don't think any of those are like amazing yeah they've also even got restricted free agency for nick richards they've got dennis smith jr who actually i think has been pretty good as a backup point guard for them but he's from north carolina they might want to just try to bring him back nick richards as well i think has been a totally cromulent backup center for them and uh, mark Williams is showing some signs lately. How would you be approaching a potential trade of PJ Washington? I think in some ways it would be similar to what my interpretation of the approach that the Wizards had with Rui Hachimura was. Now, their situation is complicated. That's fascinating. You mentioned him because the reporting has indicated that both those guys were kind of offered the four year 52 million and both of them turned it down. Right. And so if you really if you're really sure that you don't want to give PJ Washington his next contract, then you move, but you should have already done that. Like I, I, that, you know, that's generally the way that I feel it's better to move early than late on a pending restricted free agent. 
But at this juncture, and I mean, the cap hold makes these things more complicated, but at this juncture, unless a team offers, like, it, it, presumably if you have had that analysis on him, you would have already made the move. And at this point, you just kind of see where the process goes. Washington, I could see him being a player that dangles a little bit in restricted free agency because there aren't that many teams with cap space over the, you know, teams with over the mid-level to spend. And Washington could help some of them, but he's not like necessarily their A1 target. And that's who gets real money in restricted free agency. So I'm not the biggest Washington believer. And if I were running the team, he probably would already be gone. But at this point, probably hold on unless the team offers you like a first. Yeah. So really, I, yeah, I, I guess that's right. Uh, and you get, have the optionality with him as a restricted free agent this offseason. I mean, Rozier, Hayward, I, I think certainly anybody who would be willing to give me something for Terry Rozier, if there's a feeling like the Lakers, if they wanted to offer a first round pick for Terry Rozier, like Jesus Christ, like where can I sign up fast enough? Would you do it for an expiring contract who's not going to help you and less than a first? Just basically the get out of get out of it situation. So presuming they're bringing bridges back, you know, I think their books long term can still handle it uh, because you know Hayward will finally be coming off next year. The the Batum or, or after next year, the Batum stretch comes off next year. So I think they're open enough that I would probably just hold on to him and hope that his shooting can get better because that's a big problem. He's just I think he's been Schumann had this that he's the lowest shooting percentage compared to career from three of anybody in the league right now with a significant amount of volume so i think he will shoot better he's had to play a lot of point guard this year that hasn't made him look good so if you can't get a first i think i would try to hold on to him. he can at least again for a team whose books are this open if he ends up having to be a third guard at that money where the cap is going it's not the absolute end of the world so yeah i don't think i would just like straight up dump him that doesn't send a great message to lamello ball either though I, I do think they should be in more of a rebuild I don't think they're going to be. I, I would think about it, though. I mean, I do think that is not looking like a great deal. But it, again, he's he should look better than this going forward. Right. And that and that's the logic for a player who has this much time left on their contract is do you think do you think you're you could get more for him later on? And Rosier, I think he's been below overall with the shooting, as you brought up below that standard so far. And do you think that like that circumstances could could shift on it and and or that you just want to keep him like that he gets better and you want to do that? And so the added information plus the possibility of increasing what you could get for him that that for me, unless you get that kind of an offer like a, a first, I would I would I would keep him just for that reason, if, if not for other ones. Most likely to be traded. I'm going to go Ubre. He's currently injured, but positional, you know, like that kind of player could help teams and 12 million is a reasonable salary. I'm going to say Plumley. Am I going to have to get it? Am I going to have to get another kind of color, set of warmups? Like, come on now. Dude, I, I, Zach Lowe said that uh, other than when he recommended my Twitter account in 2014 and got me a bunch of followers, that was actually a huge moment for me in my career to go from like 2,500 followers. He and Bob Vulgaris within two days took me from like 2,500 followers to like 15,000. And that was like enough to kind of, continue building this is back when their their twitter time was just your timeline so if you tweeted a lot like people would actually see him in any event so the second thing he's said in my life that most warmed my heart after him recommending my twitter account was saying that he just can't stand watching mason plumley play i think so <laughs> if i could if you ever listen to me and there's anything that i said that helped push you in that direction i that would really make me happy um yeah so plumley Get ready for him on a playoff team. Let's get to the magic now. And I'll preface this by saying that this was the team when John and I, if you haven't listened yet, we did our drafts of the teams that we basically expected to have were most likely to make a major move. I had Orlando as the lowest team in the league, but even it's still not inconceivable. They could do something. I, I just wouldn't consider, you know, Mo Bamba a major move or, and I think they probably would just hold on to Gary Harris rather than move him for a second or two. So it's hard to see what they're trying to do there. I don't think Terrence Ross has enough value to qualify as a major move. I mean, all right, if you want to move him for a couple of seconds, all right, fine, I guess. I mean, they have a pretty full roster with prospects anyway going forward. I don't think Jonathan Isaac 
Isaac will be able to show enough to where he might have some trade value. So I, it's just, it's hard for me to see anything that's really like on their shopping list in either direction at the moment. They have a lot still left to evaluate, you know, Isaac and Fultz both have these very light guarantees. Well, I guess Isaac's a seven, six, so it's not that light, but it, like guarantees for next year beyond the non guarantees for Harris and Bamba, both of which are over $10 million. So this front office group has a lot left to do and they've thankfully just got Isaac back and the other part of it is like they've been better recently and I, I mean they could theoretically maybe find their way into the play-in mix I, I would love to see it happen and also they don't really have like clearly superfluous players that other teams would be jazzed about and so that's that's one of the other ways that a team that seems like they're on the outside looking in can do something and so if another like to me the most interesting kind of stuff involving the magic are second round sorry second draft players either for, for them or from them so if another team wants rj hampton unfortunately he was drafted much later than a player like mario hazonia or austin rivers where getting them and then having that you know having that restriction is you know it's a little bit more onerous but i don't know that any team was going to give hampton more than 4.2 million for next year anyway um so you could see that as a possibility and then orlando like i mean i would probably be trying to preserve their salary flexibility moving forward but if they were you know if there were a player that seemed like they were on the out somewhere and you thought they were good you know it's kind of in a way like what they did with bull bull like if you can find some arbitrage find some value opportunities by all means the magic books for this offseason if they were to move on from harris and bomba their non-guarantees but retain isaac and fultz they'd be looking at 35 million i would be shocked if they wanted to move on from fultz or even isaac at this point because the math would say he's if you believe he could be a 10 million dollar player potentially you hold on to him with that 7.6 million dollar guarantee out of his 17.4 but if some big occasion uh, arose they could get to almost 60 million in space maybe they could be a suitor for the likes of fred van vliet there aren't any other big free agents that stick out to me it, it does seem like maybe particularly with their youth movement seemingly going so well that this could be another quieter summer for them especially because i think there are other teams like they're gonna probably play the best of these rebuilding teams other than okc you know they don't have the same pressure as detroit or houston necessarily to get better they already kind of took a step forward this year i think they'll feel like just with internal improvement they'll take another step forward next year so i'm not like crazy concerned in, in a putative move of maintaining that cap space if we were going to take on some more salary i wouldn't be totally against it if there were a move for say gary harris although i still like him on this team or bomba where it would just be they'd kind of be moving him for a, as an expiring contract but it's just it's they're pretty deep at nearly every position with guys that they like and they don't really have anyone that they would be really trying to move who has first round value for anyone else so i that's why i foresee a, a quiet deadline i know you, you said oh there's some arbitrage opportunities it's you know that doesn't make for great radio i guess to just go through like who's the next bull bull for them that's probably not something we need to spend time on so um i mean i'm trying to think if there's any yeah they couldn't they can't renegotiate and extend bull bull but they would have full they would have uh actually they would have i think full bird rights on him if uh, once his contract ends after next year he's not guaranteed for 2.2 so yeah i think we're just kind of spinning our wheels here i don't really have many other takes on this team is there anything else you wanted to say not particularly no great okay well if all goes according to plan which you hope it will the next episode in your ears will be the mock trade deadline we'll talk to you all soon reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 